Good evening, everybody, and welcome to the Bible Thumper podcast. My name is Patrick Hayes, your regular host, and my regular co-host, Caleb Jenks, is going to be about 20 minutes late. So let's jump in and see where we go, and uh, we're going to go from there. So you know what? Usually, Caleb and I try to have a word of prayer before we start, and we do that privately before the whole thing kicks off. And this has been such a busy week and such a hectic day uh, that I'm going to start off um, <laughs> praying with you guys because Caleb and I weren't able to connect and uh, it's only going to help. So let's have a brief word of prayer and we'll jump in. God, I just want to thank you for how good you are. And I, I thank you so much, God, that uh, I get to live in this wonderful country where Christianity is still free. I can meet with other Christians. I can read the Bible even in public and talk about it. And and God, I'm grateful for the freedoms we have. I want to ask that you'd please have your hand a blessing upon all we do and say tonight. Please speak through me. Please bring Bible verses to my mind. That will be a help and an encouragement to the folks at home that are listening. We love you, Lord. And we just don't want to do this without you. It'd just be such a waste of an hour. So please meet with us here in Christ's name. Amen. Okay, so anyone that's joining us, please be sure to jump on and make a comment and tell us where you're from and who you are. And <clears throat> we thank you for listening. So uh, next week at the same time, Friday night, 8 p.m. Mountain Time, we are going to get into a topic that just came up on our events tab on our page, and that is about smoking and tattoos. So that'll be an exciting one. So we always try to pick topics that, number one, are not discussed very often on a Sunday morning in church. And then number two, we try to pick topics that are controversial because you don't hear about controversial topics very often. For some reason, everyone wants to do this. Let's do it the easy way. Let's preach the easy stuff that everyone agrees on. And that's great if you've been a Christian for a year or two. But after that, you start to think, man, I've heard all this before. Can we get into some other stuff? Like there's a whole bunch of books that I've never heard preached out of in my entire life. So we like to get into more controversial stuff. So anyway, we're going to be talking about smoking and tattoos, and that'll be one week from today. Also, this coming Monday in just three days is a special event. I'm going to be interviewing Dr. Bill Hilty. He is the director of emergency medicine at the St. Mary's Hospital, and he has a lot of experience with infectious diseases and COVID-19. And we're going to try to get the facts and get some questions answered uh, because Boy, there's so much information out there and it comes at us from different directions and it seem, a lot of it seems to be contradictory. So we're going to try to cut through all that and just talk straight with a, a doctor that has uh, experience with it. And um, hopefully that'll be, you know, enlightening, encouraging, entertaining. Anyway, um, that'll be this Monday. Now, we typically use the Friday night at 8 p.m. hour to do... Bible stuff. I can't even say we usually. That's all we ever do. So we didn't want to have this interview on a Friday night because it has nothing to do with the Bible. So we're doing that on a special night. We're using this platform of the Bible Thumper podcast, but Monday night we're going to be talking about COVID-19. And it's just because it's a topic that's interesting. And I have a customer of mine, uh, Dr. Bill Hilty, who uh, I've talked to a lot about this and he's very informed. He's been a doctor for 27 years, you know, 
And uh, anyway, I thought it would be something people would be interested in. We will see. Last announcement before we jump in. And if you can't tell, I'm stalling. I am just 100% flat stalling because I have had a five-day work week of, I want to say, like an average of 11 or 12-hour days. I actually had a 14-hour day yesterday. I left the house at 7.30 in the morning, and I got home at 9.30 p.m. It was exhausting. Every part of me hurts. It is sore. It is tired. <clears throat> I've had zero time to even reflect on this topic, let alone go through the Bible and try to get some verses together. So I am stalling because I, I think Caleb picked this topic and I'm hoping he has a lot to say about it. Uh, if you go to our Facebook page, you will find a post that asks for new ideas. If there is a topic that you want to hear about, please put it on the comments. <clears throat> we will throw it in the mix and we will get to it. And we'll try to keep you posted as far as when we're going to do it so you can be aware of it. We had one great suggestion from a lady this last week. Uh, her name was Dina. And uh, Dina, we are going to get to that. I've already put it on the list. Uh, so uh, we're going to get to that topic. And I thank you for the idea. All right. So let's jump into the topic tonight. Do you have to change your life before joining a church? So the short answer is no. No, you don't. An analogy, so we're going to not use the Bible for the first minute here. An analogy would be, do I need to be healthy and well before going to a hospital? No, no, you don't. Uh, hospitals are full of sick people, and so are churches. Churches, when, when Jesus called on, and see now the verses are starting to come to me, but uh, I did turn 40 this year, so I open up the Bible gateway um, and try to find the uh, verse here with a quick search. So when you think about it, you know, let's go to, let's go to Luke. Let's go to Luke. And I'm going to, this is actually going to be quoted out of Isaiah, but this is one of my favorite verses in the Bible. And it has to do with the prophecy part of it. And it's quoting from the book of Isaiah. It's a prophecy about, about Jesus. So when we uh, go to the book of Luke, we find that Jesus enters into a synagogue and he is going to get up and preach. So Luke chapter four, and we're going to read uh, verses 16 through 18 or 19. Now, this is something that's pretty neat that you should know about. At the time of Jesus, the Jews and the temples would read through the Old Testament on a schedule and they would have a uniform schedule in all the different temples. So even if you were traveling, you knew what was going to be preached on, what part of the Torah they were going to read through. And they were on a schedule that basically brought them through the whole Old Testament in the course of a year. So they would go through the Bible every year. And that the reason they did that is because of a commandment found in in Deuteronomy, we also find, you know, well, I mean, since we're doing it, let's just do it. So I know my note for that is in the first chapter of the book of Joshua. So if you want to know where that is, where they were commanded to read the Bible every year, we find that in Deuteronomy chapter 31, verses 11 through 13. And they were commanded um, God commanded Moses to make sure that the Torah was read in front of all the people. They would gather everyone together and they would go through the Torah every seven years. 
Okay, so that's commanded in Deuteronomy chapter 31, verses 11 through 13. The Jews would also go through that cycle where they would read through the Torah in the temple every year. Now, they didn't do that from the time of Moses up until the time of Christ. They had several periods where they really lapsed. But anyway, I'm, I'm getting off into the weeds. So they would get together and they would read the Torah on Saturday in the temple, and they would know this, the portion of scripture that they were going to get into. So the way they would do it is every father in the temple would take a turn. So it was your turn and you were going to study that week and, and expound on that portion of the Old Testament and what you learned and what God showed you and you would teach a lesson and they would go through the, uh, the local temple there and everyone would take turns and it was a nice way to hold corporate worship. But they had this tradition, which was when a visitor came through the man whose turn it was to teach the scriptures would honor that visitor by passing him the scroll and asking him to expound on it. So we have a visitor, we'd all like to hear from you. And then the visitor would get up and they would read from the Torah and they would expound on it. So in this verse, Jesus is quoting from Isaiah chapter 61 verse one and half of verse two. And I don't know if I'm going to get out in the weeds and explain how the prophecy works, but let me, let me just read this portion here. So Jesus stood up and he opened up to the book of Isaiah, which was the scheduled portion of the scripture to read. That's why this is all interesting because Jesus went to the temple and stood up on the very day when he read from the book of Isaiah. Now it's recorded in the book of Luke for us, okay? But Jesus was reading from the scroll of Isaiah. And we read, so Jesus picks up the scroll of Isaiah and he reads, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord, period. Now, I'm going to get, I'm going to tie this into what we're talking about tonight in just a moment. But if you go back to Isaiah chapter 61 and read verses one and half of two, you find out that Jesus stopped at a comma. Now, in Luke, it's recorded as a period because that was the, the end. And verse 20 says, and he closed the book and he gave it again to the minister and sat down. And it said that all the eyes of the people were upon him. Now, this was impressive because many people throughout history have read these verses in Isaiah. But Jesus was the only person who was ever able to read this portion of the scripture and have it apply to him. So Jesus was able to sit there. And well, it was probably standing, but Jesus was able to stand there and read from the uh, book of Isaiah. And he was able to uh, speak about that book in the first person when it said the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he hath appointed me. Jesus was the only one that was not reading that book as a prophetic message. He's like, nope, time's now. I'm the guy. Here I am. And Jesus read it with authority like he did everything. And that's why everyone was impressed and their eyes were upon him. Okay, so if you read the rest of that, you find out that where Jesus stopped, which was at a comma halfway through Isaiah chapter 61, verse 2. He only read the first half of it. 
After that comma, you find out that the remainder of verse 2 is stuff that's going to happen during the second coming of Christ. After you have uh, the rapture, the marriage supper of the Lamb, here on earth you're going to have the time of Jacob's trouble, which is typically talked about as the, uh, the Great Tribulation, the seven-year period. The Antichrist is going to stand up in the middle of that at three and a half years, declare himself as God, stop the sacrifices, and stand up in the holiest of holies and declare that he is God and everyone needs to worship him. And then at the end of the seven years, Jesus is going to come back with all of us. Okay, All the saints are going to ride down on horses. I'm not a big horse guy, but whatever. And then we're going to come down and Jesus is going to sit on the actual literal throne of David. And that is going to be set up in Jerusalem and he is going to rule and reign for a thousand years. Now, all of that stuff, Jesus was not going to quote on that day when he came into the temple and was quoting from Isaiah 61. Why? Because he wasn't here to do that. Not yet. So he only quoted the portion of scripture in Isaiah 61, verse 1, and half of verse 2, because that was his job this round on earth. Okay, Patrick, you lost me. That's fine. Rewind it, watch it again. It's one of my favorite messianic prophecies in the whole Bible. It's really neat, especially when you understand how it works and how he happened to walk into the temple just on that day to read that portion of scripture. All right. So... Who did Jesus come here to preach to? That's really the question. Okay, let me switch this around. Bear with me. Okay. So the Bible says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor, heal the brokenhearted, deliver the captives, uh, give sight to the blind, and set liberty to them that are bruised. So Jesus came to preach the gospel to the poor, the brokenhearted, the captives, the blind, and those that are bruised. That's the list that Jesus read in Luke chapter 4, verses 18 and 19. And that was what God prophesied through the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 61, verses 1 and half of 2. So, if that's who Jesus came for, then let me ask you, do you have to change your life before joining a church, attending a church, going to church? No, no, obviously you don't because Jesus came here for the captives. Okay, what are we captive to? Anyone want to take a guess? We are captive to sin in this body, in our flesh. That's what we're captives to. We are captive to sin. We are blind. It says we're brokenhearted, we are poor, um, and we are bruised. So no, the, the idea is you do not have to change your life before joining a church. Now, do people in church feel more comfortable when you do? Sure. There is nothing funnier to me than when I will bring a friend to church and I will bring a friend that looks like he's right out of a motorcycle gang. Or you'll, you know, bring um, some some young lady that looks like she's a prostitute. Okay, because at the end of the day, people don't feel comfortable with a lot of those things. And and there's nothing wrong with you know feeling uncomfortable around uh, certain people. It's just that we have to remember that they are all people that God created, okay, and He loves and He wants to be in their life, and we need to treat them like that. But 
in church, we go to church and we feel like church is a safe place, right? That's supposed to be one place where I can go and I don't have to deal with all the nonsense out in the world. I can leave that stuff behind. And for at least one hour, I can go there and not feel, I don't know, not feel weird. For me, I feel weird eh, about every day of my life, every hour of my life, all day long, all night long. Okay. I do not feel like I fit in at all. But then I get to go to church and I get to be around people that believe the same way that I do. They believe that this book is not a book about God. That's a very important distinction. And I don't want to speak for Caleb, but I'm pretty sure I know how he feels. I believe he feels the same way I do. This book was written by God. This isn't a book that happens to be about God. It doesn't contain information about God. This book contains God. It is powerful. God said that he uh, esteems his word above his name. That's what the Bible says. I can look it up for you. I don't remember the verse, but it, it'll be easy to find. Okay, God esteems his word above his name. He takes this book very, very seriously. And the one thing that I love about Sunday mornings is I get to gather around with a bunch of people that believe the same way that I do about this book. And I don't feel as weird as I usually do. So for those of you wondering uh, what, where Caleb is, you might have joined a minute late. Caleb is just running behind. He said he will be here about 20 minutes in, which is about two minutes from now. So we'll see if he actually uh, gets here or not. But Caleb is planning on coming. He was just running late. So you're stuck with me. And hopefully we're learning something about the Bible. Okay, so do you have to change your life before joining a church? Nope. So now let me go over a couple of terms. There are three terms and I'm going to write them down. Uh, I'm going to write them down on here and, and see how we do. I had, how do we do this? There we go. Okay. Um, I can't, I just drew a blank. Okay. So what we have is we have, uh, How did I just lose that? Sorry, guys. I really am tired. And it's not fair to you that I come here, you know, this unprepared. Okay. So we have three terms. We have uh, justification, sanctification, and glorification. Justification. Okay. And please don't make fun of my spelling. I am a terrible speller. Justification, sanctification and glorification. Now, this might sound boring, and I do apologize because it, it very well might be. Okay, but these three ideas will help you understand <clears throat> what we're talking about. So, people often think that salvation is this event where every you get 100% of God and you get all the knowledge and wisdom and experience you're ever going to have as a Christian and it's going to be this lightning bolt moment and when you get saved you know a switch is flipped and, and man you are changed okay so that is not the case when when you get saved you get the blood of Jesus applied to your sins 
you are now going to heaven. The Holy Spirit lives inside of you. It, the Bible says the Holy Spirit literally uh, abodes in you, takes up residency inside of you and never leaves. And now you were made of body and soul and now your body, soul and spirit. So your spirit is quickened. It is made alive and you're a Christian and you're going on your way. But then what you find out is that you're really no better off than you were yesterday as far as this sin problem. And the reason for that is that second word, sanctification. So sanctification means to set apart. God had instruments in the Old Testament, in the tabernacle and in the temple, golden instruments that were sanctified. They were set apart for special use and they were used specifically in the temple worship to serve God. So we have this idea that after we get justified, when Jesus died on the cross and we uh, now are saved and the blood is applied to our soul, from that point forward starts the process of sanctification. And that process of sanctification is going to go on from the day you get saved until the day you die or the day Jesus calls you home through the rapture. And that is a process. And it's annoying to a lot of us, especially when you start reading your Bible, you start praying, you start spending time with other Christians, you start learning about God, you find a, uh, a church that you can uh, get together with and, and, and study the Bible and, and learn more and, and, and have that sweet fellowship with other Christians. And you're moving along and you want to do well, you want to do right, you want to you want to behave yourself because you love God. And that's the whole idea is we obey God because we love him. And you find out that you keep tripping and stumbling and messing up and you have sin in your life that you just can't seem to get to. Well, remember, sanctification is a process. And this is something that I tell everybody. So listen up. And, and if you think I'm crazy, then please let me know about it in the comments. And you can call me a heretic or a wolf in sheep's clothing. And I will probably ignore you. But uh, if, if I'm really off base on this, I want to know. But I've never, I've never found the Bible that, that gives me a hard time with this. When Patrick Hayes got saved, it seems, looking back now, after many, many, many years, God had a list and God said, okay, Patrick, here we go. Item number one, I want you to start doing this. I said, okay, God, got it. I see that. And I remember started reading my Bible and uh, I saw a whole lot about honesty in the way that you conducted business and talk to other people and all the stuff. I'm like, okay, got it. Cannot tell a lie. Got to tell the truth. And then I came around, you know, all these Christians spend all this time together and they, they worship together and you get through the book of Acts and even in the gospels and they're in the upper room, whether they're, you know, worshiping together or hiding, they were still together. And I'm like, man, I got to get to church. I got to find a group of people and I need to be around them. Okay. That was number two. And then God had another one, you know, and, uh, and he wouldn't, he didn't hand me a list. He had a list, but he only revealed me one line at a time. And he would give me something and he would work with me on it. And I would, my life would improve because every time we obey, God has blessings for us. Uh, if we refuse to obey God and we decide we're going to live in self-will, then there are curses that go along with that. Terrible consequences for every sin. 
And God continued to go down this list and work on me with all these different things. Now, when you get saved, God has a list for you. And your list, just like mine, I mean, yours is probably shorter because I was an idiot. So I had a list of 10 million line items. But a lot of you folks, um, you know, you seem to have your life pretty well put together. So you probably have a shorter list, only a couple hundred thousand. And your list and my list would have some of the same items on it, but they would be in a different order. Well, why is that? Well, what we find is that what we find is that God has a plan for your life, and it is specific and it is special to you. And God wants you to be transformed into his image and likeness. Now he wants that for everybody, but in order to get you there, God has priorities. And he says, look, you know, for you, I really don't care about this one until you get these first 10 in order. Whereas for someone else, they might start with that one. Okay. But God will bring that list to you. And he does it when you read the Bible and God does it when you, uh, hear preaching and teaching. You're listening to podcasts of, uh, uh, of preachers. You're listening to an MP3 of someone teaching the Bible. You're reading the Bible for yourself. You're studying the Bible with your wife, or your kids, and you're going through this and God highlights something and he puts it a hook in you. And you're like, man, I just can't escape this. I just can't get around it. I feel like God is talking to me. Well, guess what? He probably is. Okay. If it's in the Bible and you're starting to feel conviction, that's the Holy Spirit of God starting to put pressure on you because he wants to see, he wants a change affected in you. And glory to God, that's amazing. That's a great place to be. Uh, the only time that's uncomfortable is when you're not willing to change or you're only willing to change a teensy little bit or God says to go to Nineveh and you're like, well, maybe I'll just go to Tarshish instead. That's when you have problems. Because God's will is going to happen at, you know, in the end. And if God wants change affected in you, you know, it's coming. So hold on. So <clears throat> just remember, and I, I, I always say this because it makes so many people mad. Mini skirts are good for your church. Okay. And why is that? Because that means that new Christians are coming to church and they're starting to learn the Bible. Okay. And maybe that young lady hasn't gotten to the part of the Bible where it talks about dressing modestly. Okay. Well, that's fine. Guess what? She's going to get there. She's going to get there in God's timing. And what we need to do is we need to have compassion on that person. We need to love them. We need to encourage them. And we need to try to just help them along in their journey. A group of a dozen people smoking cigarettes outside the front of your church building is a good thing. And I know there's plenty of people in here thinking, no, neither of those are good. I don't like either of those. They don't make me feel comfortable. I bet, nope, don't want it. What you got to remember is there are new people who God has not convicted about certain things. And they are new Christians. They are going to grow and you're going to see change and it's going to be wonderful. So just remember that. Now, don't get me wrong. It's uncomfortable a lot of times. But I never want to be 
in the church where everyone looks like they've got it figured out. Because it is almost impossible for new people to come to a church like that and feel comfortable. I'll give you another one. A screaming baby who you swear has the devil in it because of how terrible this kid is and how disobedient it is to their mom and dad. That's good for your church. Because it means there's a family there that hasn't gotten around to the portions of the Bible that help you to learn how to train up your child in the ways they should go. And they are going to <clears throat> go through the Bible. They're going to get closer to God. They're going to learn these things and they're going to change. But I'll tell you what, as soon as your church looks like everyone's got it together and everyone, you know, if, if it looks like the army, they're all dressed the same and they all act the same and the whole thing. I'm telling you that that is a church that it is impossible to come to as a new Christian and feel comfortable and stay at and grow in. And remember, you're talking to a guy that was not raised in a Christian home. I, I was not used to Christianity. I was not used to the people or the mannerisms or the vernacular they used. I wasn't used to how they act or how I should or shouldn't act, you know, and it was awkward. And when I would step into a new church, when I was visiting one and I would stand out like a sore thumb, it was tough. If one person came up to me and was kind and just treated me like a normal person, that all went away and I just felt great. And I've had that experience at many churches and it was wonderful and I felt invited. And I went back to someone's home the first time I visited the church. I remember one of, a good friend of mine here in town, the first church I visited, I walked in and their service was just ending. So I you know, missed it by an hour or an hour and a half or whatever it is. And I got in there and uh, I saw everyone was like shaking hands, ready to go home. And the assistant pastor said to the person who was talking, he said, sorry, I don't know that guy. Get, get, please give me a minute. And he came over and he introduced himself. And I was at his house that day for lunch, hanging out with his family, meeting his kids, meeting his wife, chit-chatting with all of them, you know, just telling stories about who we were. And it was amazing. Okay. I felt comfortable in my own skin when I went there. So you got to remember, you absolutely do not need to have your life changed before uh, joining a church. What we need to remember as Christians who have been in church for a while is that there are going to be people who are very different from what we're comfortable with coming into our church. And we have to be okay with that. We have to be loving and inviting. We have to bring them in. You know something? It would be great if we could bring these new people in and maybe, maybe you're the person that's supposed to take them under your wing and help them out and try to make them feel comfortable. Wouldn't that be a good idea? Now, it's way easier to sit in the back, sipping on your coffee, rolling your eyes in judgment at these, you know, heathens that walk into the church. But, you know, don't forget that guy might be 
uh, in front of you in line when we're standing there to get in the pearly gates some years later. You know, so we never want to look down our nose at people. Anyone that has the courage to walk into a church for the first time, you know, we need to have them feel welcome. So Caleb looks like he's on. I'm going to count him in and he's going to jump in here and probably derail the whole conversation. So uh, Caleb, how much of this have you heard so far? I've been on pretty much for the whole thing. Um, okay. I was driving, but I, I heard most of what you had to say. So I, I just couldn't wait to get on here and straighten you out. Good. Take it away. <laughs> I, I can't wait to, I can't wait to hear it. No, it's really good. Um, I, uh, so real quick, what do you think of my bumper sticker slogan? Mini skirts are good for your church. <laughs> do you think that could sell? Could we move some that t-shirts? <laughs> I was like, where is he going with this? But <laughs> it makes sense though, right? You get the idea. Yeah, exactly. We want we want sinners, okay, who want to get saved coming to our church. Okay. Well, that's that's who we want. We want the lost to come in and we want to get them saved. Okay, so Caleb, uh, what are your thoughts on the whole subject? What do you see as problems in the church today and what people expect? What do you see as problems of you know people coming in as they are? or leaving as they came. I mean, tell, what are your thoughts on it? Yeah. So I, it was interesting kind of watching, watching the first part of this as you, as you talked about it, because um, it, it seems like this answer could be, or this question could be answered pretty quickly. Uh, a kind of a common term that you hear is Jesus loves you just the way you are mm -hmm. uh, come as you are. Those are, those are terms that we hear. And so it's, it's kind of weird to talk about changing before you join a church. And obviously it would be more convenient if everybody joined a church with their lives all cleaned up, but that doesn't happen. <laughs> and <laughs> Jesus happen said, this, <laughs> uh, the, the, uh, Jesus said the, the sick don't need a doctor. So I like, I like what you, what you mentioned there about sanctification and how we, we definitely don't come in uh, to the kingdom as, as complete, you know, completed sanctified purified uh people and there wouldn't be much room for me in the church if if that was the case so yeah i've i have a couple of thoughts on it that that i that i was thinking of on the on my trip down while i was listening to you talk and that is the fact that um it is it is annoying and it is hard to deal with when we have people with issues in the church and when when you have people that are um that are causing problems and you have people that are, you know, trying to clean their lives up. And that is, that is actually our job as a church. When we, when we go to go to church and we love on each other and we are the hands and feet of Jesus, we should be prepared to deal with messy situations, deal with people that don't have it all together and deal with things that are inconvenient. And um, so there, <laughs> there is a thought that I had though, and that is Jesus does love us just the way we are. And you can come just as you are, but you better plan on changing because um, <laughs> the same, this is the same guy that we're talking about here that everybody's like, Oh, Jesus loves you just as you are. Well, he does. He loves you, but he doesn't love the way that you are. He doesn't love the way that we are as sinners. And hey, he's, let me ask you this, cause I heard yeah. this one term. Um, Jesus loves you too much to leave you the way you are. Yeah, that's good. Right. Like he does love you, you know, and wants you to come in. You don't need to change first, but he loves you way too much to leave you as sick as you are. So, right. Caleb, I put up on the on the screen the verse that you were quoting there for everyone. So anyways, if um, 
Jesus is the kind, the kind-hearted, socially, uh, socially acceptable, uh, politically correct guy that's, that he, that loves everyone just the way they are, and you can just come as you are, and Jesus loves you that way. He also had he also had some other words that weren't <laughs> that weren't so so great. There was times that he said that it would be better for somebody that they had never been born. Um, he definitely seems to indicate that he knows that we're messed up, our lives are messed up, um, and. In Matthew 18, um, he had another harsh thing that he had had to say. He said that it would be better for someone to have a millstone hung around their neck and drowned in the depths of the sea. Uh, that's not out of the, the King James says, but whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were drowned in the depths of the sea. Um, I think that this is a very interesting passage because... Here we have Jesus talking in, in the King James Version. It says to sin. In other versions, it says to stumble. I'm not sure uh, which is mo the most accurate. But I think this is talking about new Christians that are coming into the kingdom, in, into the church. And if you, have, if you have 50 people with their lives all put together, and they, they seem to be walking the walk and doing pretty good, and they're, like Patrick said, they're all dressed in uniform, and and you walk into church as a new believer and you really do believe in Jesus and you have, you're putting your faith in him and you want to be in church and all you get is side eye and you get stared at and judged and, and you feel like everybody's looking down their nose because you don't fit in well. Um, we could be those that are causing a little one to stumble in that case. And, and this could be talking about more, more than just, I mean, there's probably different applications for this. I'm not saying that that's it the only way that we would cause somebody to stumble or, or sin. But if you are so judgmental and harsh on a new Christian that they can't feel like they fit in and that they can be one of you, even though their life is still messy, then um, you, you could cause them to stumble and, and walk away. So that, that is, I think that applies here, but also do we just let everything go in the church? Do we just turn a blind eye to sin? I don't think that's what it means either, but you have to be gracious. And like Patrick said, there's times where God is dealing with somebody in a different area of their life. Um, I guess, Patrick, you coming into, into churches, were you ever, <laughs> I laughed when you said there's times that you bring people to church that look a little rough around the edges, look like a, look like sure. they come out of a motorcycle gang or whatever. And I was like, wait, did you just describe yourself? <laughs> <laughs> So, yeah, and you know, usually what happens is I bring uh, someone to church that I, um, uh, a friend of mine from uh, Alcoholics Anonymous or Narcotics Anonymous, and I have a lot of friends from, uh, uh, from those places. Believe it or not, I have more friends from those places than I do from uh, churches who are Christians. Um, but a lot of times, you know, I'm able to get on my knees and pray with these folks and get them saved. A lot of times I'm able to invite them to church, invite them to a Bible study, you know, and it's always exciting to have them come. But I mean, some of them have tattoos, you know, up their neck and onto their face. And I mean, let's face it, that draws attention. I mean, there's just no way around it, you know? So it is always, you know, um, comical um, uh, to see someone's reaction. But honestly, most everyone that I know is, you know, pretty kind and open and sweet uh, that I go to church with, you know, um, if they weren't, I, I really wouldn't want to go to church there. Sorry, you it sounded like you were going to ask me a question. Oh, yeah, I was just, yeah, I was, I was wondering if you really ever experienced that yourself uh, coming, coming in as a new Christian and finding out after the fact that you really 
you really didn't fit in, but you didn't even know it. Uh, because I have, I have been, I've had the opportunity to worship with people from a lot of different walks of life. And some churches I walk into and it's like, wow, they do, they do worship very different than I, than I'm used to, you know, even the way they pray, the way that they dress, the different things there are, um, are just very, very unique to them. And, and the way that they preach, the way that they prophesy, things like that in some circles, it's just very, very much a unique experience. And it kind of seems like everybody that goes there kind of falls into a rut. And just because I don't fit in there well, um, and I come from different, you know, different background mm-hmm. doesn't necessarily mean that I'm, you know, I don't feel any lesser of a Christian for it mm-hmm. just because I pray different or I sing different mm-hmm. songs and, you know, live a different life, but you can still feel, you can still kind of feel like an outsider, feel like you don't really fit in because they've got their little click and they do things the way that they do. And then I've been, I've been in other church, church services where it was, you know, very, very diverse. And it wasn't like, you know, everybody did their own thing, but I think almost every church, we kind of get into our little ruts and our patterns. Mm -hmm. And so um, it was obvious to me that I was the odd guy out sometimes, but it wasn't really, I was, I'm a second generation Christian. So it wasn't like I really was, you know, came into the church for the first time from the outside. So I'm just Mm kind of wondering what, is there some experiences that you've had as, you know, as a new Christian that you can kind of relate? Because I, I think I, I look around sometimes and I'm like, man, how would we deal with it as a church? If, if somebody, if somebody visited our church that was gay, for, for example, sure. you know, how are they going to feel? Are yeah. we going to, you know, how do you accept, accept that? It's kind of a hypothetical thing because we don't usually have people joining us in church that are gay, but sure. I know there's churches that deal with that. And so Absolutely. anyways, well, you, you know, so to start off, I don't know if I'm the right one to ask this question, Caleb, because I've felt weird or strange or out of place every day since I was born and can remember uh, up until today. So, uh, you know, everywhere I go, I feel like I'm just an odd duck. Uh, And every church feels like that to some degree. You you should join Duck Dynasty. You would fit in better. (laughs) (laughs) If they would have me, but I'm not big into shotguns. I I like rifles. I've never been a shotgun guy. I've never enjoyed... You know, I can't say I don't enjoy hunting fowl. I've never tried it, but I don't like shooting shotguns much. Okay, so I, I will tell you this. Um, you know, I have uh, self-confidence just flowing out of my ears. So it's never bothered me too much when I look different from the church that I'm going to. And there's, so I've been in churches where, I mean, all the guys are in a suit and tie you know, and all the ladies are in, you know, kind of their Sunday best, you know, uh, long dresses with flower patterns on them, you know, and it's an, it's an older church. I've also been, you know, in, uh, in churches where it, it, I would say it's the other side of that spectrum where if the building didn't say church on it, when you watched everyone walk out, cause no one had a Bible and no one looked like it like a Christian, they, they all looked like the rest of the world that were going to the beach or to a party or something, you know, I guess for me, it's, it's never much bothered me. I know. So think of this, Caleb, what subculture are you a part of other than your uh, local church? Like, are, do you, are you a bowler? Are you a golfer? You know what I mean? Whatever subculture you're a part of, 
There is a vernacular that they use that's different from everyone else. There's a way they dress that's different from everyone else. And people naturally fall into a subculture and they usually change their behavior and their appearance to fit into that and feel more comfortable. And I've seen that where I've had people, you know, come come to a church, a very conservative one where most guys are in, you know, a suit or at least a shirt and tie. And the person comes <clears throat> and the next Sunday they got a suit on. And it's the second time they've been in church in their life, you know, and no one told them they had to wear one. But you do feel uncomfortable, you know, when you notice that everyone's doing this one thing and I'm, you know, doing it differently. So I get that people, you know, kind of want to conform. Um, it's too bad. It's it's a it's a peer pressure, but it's not intended. You see what I'm saying? It's not right. that people are coming around and like, listen, man. You know, this is what you need to do, say, act and look like before you can come in here. I've never experienced that. I would laugh in someone's face, you know, if they told me that. I, right. I, I, you know, and don't get me wrong. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm not wearing, you know, a bathing suit, flip flops and no shirt when I go to <laughs> church. I mean, I'm not, you know, I'm. I mean, I'm, That's you good. know, yeah, it's, it, it, I've never like, you know, pushed the boundaries where it's like clearly uncomfortable for everyone. I mean, I have enough tact, you know, to not do something like that, but you know, every time, okay. So when I joined the Bible study that I go to on Wednesday nights, I sat there with my mouth shut for the first like four weeks and I would just barely talk about anything or make a comment about anything because I just wanted to warm up to these people before I just started getting into the Bible with them, you know? And luckily for me, the assistant pastor that goes to this Bible study, he loves it when I jump in to Bible stuff and start, you know, quoting the Bible and talking about stories and, you know, getting into stuff and, and taking a strong stance on things. And he, he thinks it's great and he loves it, which is probably the reason that I go to that church because I can be myself and feel comfortable there. You know, I don't have to put on a show, which is nice because I'm really bad at it. I don't know if that helps. Yeah. So that's, uh, there was a, a, a question that came in here a minute ago, I guess you kind of answered it, but Chris asked, how can you have a, a pure church if you let people join that are obviously sinners? And of course that is kind of the, the million dollar question is what is a pure church and how, you know, how pure does it have to be before it's considered a pure church and is the church ever pure? And I think as long as there's humans that are not resurrected from the dead or joined with Christ, um, they are, there's going to be sinners uh, among us and we are ourselves going to be sinners. And probably the older you are, the longer you've been with God, the more that, like Patrick said, the more that he works out of you. We went to church with a, uh, in Colorado, we were in a part of a church for a while that was very big on the sanctification thing as a one-time second work of grace where God, um, you got saved and then you got sanctified one day. And, and you pray for that sanctification. And I, I spent plenty of time fasting and praying for sanctification. And I thought, you know, one of these days I thought maybe I got it. And then I don't remember. I think I can't remember if I smashed my finger with a hammer one day and said a bad word or what it was <laughs> a couple of weeks into it. And I was like, oops, I guess that didn't work. Um, but they have, you know, I asked them about it at one point because they have what they call the bag of unknowns. 
So apparently when you get sanctified and you give up, um, you give up, you know, your, your heart to God and he, he cleanses it and your heart is pure toward God and you are, you're not capable of sinning. Then there's still this bag of unknowns. And as God shows you something else that you have to give up in your life, then you get rid of that out of the bag of unknowns. It's kind of this complicated way of still allowing sanctification to be a process as far as I could tell. Um, but that okay. was their way. Of- I, I got a question for that. Yeah. Do they just ignore great portions of the book of Romans where Paul talks about warring? The flesh and the spirit are at war with one another, fighting day and night, constantly losing and knowing what's right. (laughs) You can't do it. I mean, Paul, that was Paul. So there was, they, they believe there was some of the, the apostles that wrote parts of the Bible before they got sanctified themselves. So they were still an unsanctified Christian at the time that they wrote it. And it, and it says that in the Bible, right? (laughs) Or that's just the only conclusion you can come to, to make their theory work. Right. So anyways, yeah. I'm still, I, I, I always said, you know, I, I honor and respect somebody that God has sanctified and taken, you know, some sin issues away from them. And I, I do see God. Um, there's times where I've been tempted by certain issues and I just felt like God kept me from, even though I, I felt weak at the time, God just took it away from me, took that temptation away from me. And I do think, do think that God does cleanse us and, and sanctify us. And part of that is a process that he does in us. It's not just that we better ourselves and that we somehow through our own act, you know, it is, it is the Holy spirit in us that helps cleanse us from unrighteousness. But um, something that I found that was very interesting is when we look at that, um, that question that popped up here, as far as a pure church in uh, Ephesians chapter five, it says that he wants to present it to himself, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. Mm-hmm. But if you look at what it says before that, it says, husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he may sanctify and cleanse. And it goes through this whole thing about, you know, the marriage and how husbands and, and wives are supposed to love each other. And it's just really interesting that somehow, sometimes through us loving each other, and I think this goes beyond just the marriage, but in the church through us loving each other as Christ loves us and giving and lay down his life for us as the church, that sometimes that is how he, how he cleanses us and, and is able to present the church, you know, as a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing. And so that to me, it seems like that the best way that we can allow God to purify us and to be a pure church is through loving, loving each other, even when we're sinners because God Christ loved us and died for us even while we were sinners. So when you have a sinner that's in the church and we know they're living in sin and we know that we can see that their life is not right with God and we choose to love them, that's our opportunity to be like Christ and to lay down our life for each other in the church, even when it's messy, even when it's not fun, even when we practically don't, you know, it's not, it, it, there's no benefit, there's no benefit to the relationship. We can see that's just a drain on us. We don't understand sometimes how, how God could allow this person to cross our paths. Like, why are they even in church? They just seem to be dragging everybody down, you know? And that's a good opportunity for us to be like Jesus and lay down our lives for them, you know, in the church. I think that's, that is part of how, um, that is part of how we are, um, purified like you know like the gold that's brought through the fire it's in it's in us as a church choosing to be like christ and love somebody that is unlovable and see and see no benefit in us loving them and we choose to love them like christ and lay down lay down our lives for each other and that you know that goes 
in a marriage, it go, but it goes also in, you know, in our relationships to brothers and sisters. So I think it's important for us to see these as opportunities to love somebody and not to, not to lash out at them and, and, and try to get even with them or, or, you know, whatever they, they are, the, the difficulties that we have in these situations, sometimes it can get messy. And when we choose to be like Jesus and, and walk away and, you know, and, and love somebody anyways, I think that that is what purifies us. So anyways, it's a good opportunity for us. When God sends sinners into the church, I think that he's purifying us through that. It's, it's an opportunity for us to be like Jesus rather than uh, being self-righteous and pointing, pointing our finger at them and saying, you don't fit in here. So I think that's my way of agreeing with your miniskirt statement, you know, in a less <laughs> controversial way. I'm going to I'm going to go into the weeds here for just one second, because I know you and I have both visited and and fellowshiped with and been a part of plenty of churches that believe that, you know, you can live sinless and that sin after salvation will cause you to lose that salvation, you know, and die and go to hell. And that whole idea um, of, you know, being able to to be a sinless person and this is what I found is that the majority of doctrines that people misunderstand in the Bible usually come down to their eschatology. When people don't understand how the end times are going to work, they oftentimes mix up different times with different statements. And the fact of the matter is, after the seven-year tribulation, and when it says that Jesus comes back down from heaven with all the saints riding on these white horses, and it says that we're going to be here on earth with him, you know, for a thousand years, that is when Jesus is running the show. That's when there's going to be unity amongst every believer. That's when we're all going to be part of this one church. And, and I understand we've talked about local versus universal invisible church before. But far too many people who don't believe in the end times and the way that it's described from, I mean, from Genesis all the way through the book of Revelation, they take that idea <clears throat> of Christians being perfect and working together in perfect unity and harmony in the church, and they think that's supposed to happen today. Well, we are still battling our flesh. But what does it say? It says in Thessalonians that when we die, we are going to be changed in the twinkling of an eye. When the last trump of God shall sound, the dead in Christ shall come forth, and then which we, we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together. We are going to get a new body. This body of flesh is going to be done away with, and we are going to get a new body. We are not going to have flesh, and whoa, lo and behold, all of a sudden we're all able not to sin. Well, that's how heaven is going to be, okay? In heaven, I think we would all agree there's no sin, right? Right. Okay, because if there were, then heaven would be just like earth. But at the same time, the Christians that come back with the Lord will already have what the Bible calls their glorified body. Well, guess what? There's not going to be a sin problem because you're not going to be fighting against the flesh anymore. And far too many people that just ignore this whole idea of eschatology and don't want to look at it, they get their doctrine mixed up because they don't understand that Jesus was coming to earth twice. Even Jesus said that. The last thing he said before he left, I'm coming back. Right? And 
That's why the Jews in the Old Testament actually believed that there were two different messiahs, because they read through the whole Torah and they said, this is describing him so differently. Well, yes, the first time he came as a lamb, as a servant, the second time he's coming as a king. And, you know, when people don't understand that, then their doctrine gets messed up all the time and they try to, you know, um, uh, they try to straighten it out with figuring out a way to make it work all here right now. And I, I just see that it's a mess and people constantly get off in the weeds because of that. But um, you tell me if I'm crazy. No, I think that's, I think that's a good point. Um, even though we probably just, I, I'm not sure, I guess we still have like two, two people on here watching us now that we got off <laughs> eschatology. I saw you actually got into that at, toward the beginning. We probably at some point should actually do a whole episode on, on end times and eschatology. I think we've had a couple of people that have requested it. And um, I, I am not as, I don't think it's as important as you do as far as us actually uh, we're, I think we're going to lose a lot of our followers um, when we when we get into some of these theological complex words. A lot of people that are on here probably don't haven't even heard the word eschatology before. But basically, the idea of of having a sound mind as far as final things. Uh, one of the big things that that sets Christianity apart from other religions is that we actually we do believe in eternity. We believe in resurrection. We believe that Jesus is coming back. And there is a lot of questions and a lot of different views that are, you know, around this. Christians come to all sorts of different conclusions on this. And I've never felt that it was ever worth wasting a lot of time debating, um, you know, how everything happens. As long as, as long as we have salvation in order, I'm not really worried about tomorrow because I know God's got it sorted out for me, but um, it does, it does affect, like you said, Patrick, if you have this idea that, that somehow on this side of the Jordan river, so to speak, that we're going to have, mm-hmm. that we're going to have um, everything's going to be perfect. And we're going to have the same type of the lion laying down at the lamb. And, and we're going to have this beautiful fellowship that we have promised in, in heaven that we're going to have that here on earth. That's not what we're experiencing right now. And it's okay for us to deal with an imperfect church. We don't have to, we don't have to be, try to create an environment where we manufacture heaven on earth by having our church mm-hmm. be perfect uh, because like you said jesus, you. jesus is going to come back and he's going to straighten all this nonsense out and there's a lot to get straightened yep. out if you look around right now there is a lot of problems you look at the looting the rioting you look at everything that's happening and and um and and there's we are not living in heaven right now this is Wait, I, not perfect. I was told i was told by cnn that the rioting and looting is a positive thing that's just kind people expressing their beliefs and you know violence and murder and arson were just some of the things that had to happen are you saying that's not is that not bible is that we could uh, we could yeah. we just hit the one hour mark we, the second hour could just be a political talk show oh all of, i'll tell you what if you want me to drive our audience down to 12 people go ahead and let me get going on the riots i will destroy this podcast audience <sighs> yep so anyways um that's i guess that's pretty much sums it up we are we are certainly not in heaven we can't expect that everybody that comes to church with us is going to be heavenly and is going to be easy to get along with and is going to be um, a beautiful picture of jesus walking among us 
And um, another thing that I that we kind of uh, don't have a lot of time to continue on with, but if Jesus was walk was to walk into most of our churches dressed the way that um, we are, you know, we're we're all in our suits and ties and all dressed up and have our perfume on and get our eyelashes plucked and you know get our makeup done and we're all ready to go to church, just perfect. And Jesus walks in and he decides to spit on the ground and put some mud in somebody's eyes and, and, you know, fix them up and then tell them to go take a bath in a muddy river. And he looks like a homeless person. We, we may um, not be willing to accept Jesus because he doesn't fit in with us the way that we are today. So we should be a little bit more relaxed and comfortable with somebody that doesn't look like we do dress like we do talk like we do. Uh, pray like we do and not be so stuck in a rut in our churches to where um, to where when somebody does come in that is a believer they are walking with God and they aren't they don't look like they fit in with us we shouldn't be so quick and easy to judge that because who knows one of these days we could um, we could have somebody that is God's messenger you know to us and we push them out the door because they don't, you know, they don't seem to fit in. Um, if Jesus was among us, we may not recognize him. So that's, uh, I guess what I'll leave that with there is somebody doesn't have to look like us and be like us in order to be in our church. They don't have to change to be like us. But when we join a church, we should be changing to be more like Jesus. And just because you're an odd duck and you join a church, uh, doesn't mean that you should feel like everybody owes it to you to just tiptoe around you and let you continue to live your life the way that you were before you were a Christian. You should expect to change. If you are sick and you need a doctor, you should expect to get remodeled once you get to church. Hmm. You know, <clears throat> you made a good point at the end there uh, as far as, you know, and really what I heard you say was uh, when when the prophet would walk into the temple, nobody liked him. Right. He was the odd duck. Right. He was the person that went against the grain. And what did the Jews typically do to prophets in the Old Testament? Well, they murdered them. I mean, if we're going to be honest, you know, that's what happened. And I, I think that today in churches, we are oftentimes in danger of being in an echo chamber. And that is when you are in a group and they all think the same and they all they all believe the same. They all express themselves the same way. And then that's the reason that's dangerous is because it's very hard to have God come in and speak to you about things that you're wrong about that you need to change. Because all you ever do is hear from all these people that you care about and respect, uh, and you hear from them that everything's good and it's going right, you know, and the fact of the matter is, you know, an echo chamber is not a good place to hear new ideas or uh, take inventory of how your church is doing, you know? So <clears throat> again, there's nothing wrong with a little bit of, I don't want to use the word dissension mostly because I can't remember what the definition is. So uh, there's nothing wrong with a little bit of disagreement in churches. Uh, certainly we here at Bible Thumper disagree all the time, which is why we encourage people to go home and read the Bible for themselves, do your own homework, study to show thyself approved, if I can quote a Bible verse, and figure out what the Bible says for yourself. Don't ever believe Caleb or myself or your pastor or anyone that you see on TV or the internet just because they said something about the Bible. Um, it's okay to learn from all of those people, but you want to go home and open up the Bible and figure out if what they said was true or if it's nonsense. And you can, you know, kind of reject that and just um, kind of like a buffet. Okay. Just, you know, 
take the things that <laughs> that you like and leave all the junk. Okay, you probably Patrick, Patrick might be the pizza that was sitting there at the buffet since nine o'clock in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> you just gotta... Everyone's like, yeah, that looks old and cold and, and the ants have gotten to it. I'm, I'm not even going to touch it. All right. I'm ready to sign off. How about you? Yeah, I think so. I think it's, uh, I think we, we beat this, beat this dead horse enough. <laughs> I was wondering how we could talk about this for a full hour. Yeah, it's not that hard. Well, you, you got about 25 minutes in, but either way, I, I get your point. Um, okay, folks, next week we are talking about smoking and tattoos. So uh, that'll be an interesting one. Um, Caleb and I have never discussed it, um, but I'm excited to jump into that one and see what the Bible says and get into another controversial topic. So, Hey, so I, we have, we have somebody that just asked a question and they're begging us to answer it. So I guess uh -huh. it's Asia. Asia tells us that what if you are unhappy in a marriage, but you're holding on only because God, and then she said, Hey, one question, please. So, okay. So you answer it and then I'll answer it. What do you think? Um, I would say if you're unhappy in a marriage and you're holding on because God keep holding on now, um, this is very unrelated to our topic and I'm, I didn't do my homework on this ahead of time, but I know people that are, that are in marriages where they hung on and the Bible actually has some clear directions from, from this. Even if you're with an unbelieving spouse, you're supposed to love them and that brings them, brings them to Christ. And that is a good opportunity for you to lay down your life for your spouse, like Christ laid his life down for you. So being happy is actually not a, um, that is not a promise that we have that, that somehow God owes us happiness in life. Um, we are not always going to be happy. We are supposed to have joy in our lives and we can find joy even in persecution and in, in bad times. So if you're in a marriage and you are unhappy in the marriage, um, that's really too bad. But unless it's an, <laughs> unless it's an abusive marriage, yeah. I think that the, um, the, uh, the right thing to do as a Christian is this is an opportunity. Like I said before, this is an opportunity for us to be refined in the fire of life. And so I would say that, um, that it could be a very complex thing. I would get advice from your pastor, from somebody that is walking with God, um, try to get marriage counseling. Um, but if you're not happy with the marriage, remember the reason for marriage is not to get something out of it. It's to see what we can, um, what we can, uh, contribute to the marriage. And, um, oftentimes that is putting up with somebody that you frankly don't like or want to be around sometimes, and you still put up with them and you are faithful to them through the thick and thin. That's what the marriage vows are is, is for better or for worse. And sometimes it's worse and then it gets worse and then it gets worse. And, um, so I would say, without knowing all the details, um, if there is, it looks like maybe there's been some domestic violence. I'm not sure what all the situation is here. If there is abuse, I would say you should always be able to stay safe. Your children should stay safe. And maybe you have to separate for a period of time. I would get godly counsel on this and I would definitely not jump out of a marriage just because you don't like it. That's, I don't think is ever the right way to go. Um, give us some time, be patient. God was patient with you. And most likely if, um, most likely even in the situation where you have somebody that's um, bad in a marriage, you're still probably close to half of the problem. <laughs> As Christians, we can still be half of the problem. And there's ways that by us um, loving somebody that we can help bring them to Christ and they can see Christ through us. And eventually they can come to repentance. And um, 
and hopefully I will, uh, I will be praying for this marriage. I don't know what the situation is here, but I would say get help, get some counsel from somebody that you can share the details with. So I'm not sure what your idea is, Patrick, on that. Well, the first thing that I was thinking, Caleb, is, is I was going to tell you that this month, my wife and I will have been married for 14 years. Okay. There have been years where I was not happy. Can you tell me, Caleb, have you been happy consistently through your whole marriage? Well, I should tell my wife to, to, to turn this off for just a minute. <laughs> no, no um, of course not. Of course, there's days where you wake up and you're not all in love with your spouse and it's sure. you're having a bad day and she's having a bad day and it doesn't seem like there's any path yeah. forward. And it's like, you know, she's uh, this person just said they've been together for 11 years. I'm not mm -hmm. sure if that's been 11 bad years or 11 good years and one bad year or 10 good years and a bad year. But all of your commitment to stay with them for 365 days over and over again, 11 times all goes out the window the day that you walk away. You may, may as well have never tried in the first place. As soon as you give up and you walk away from that marriage, you just undid 11 years of you putting up with them and being patient and kind because you're the one that chose to walk away. So I, I always think that if there is a way to stick it out and be patient, God is patient and um, all bad, more bad than good, that, um, that is rough. And I think that if you look at a lot of Christians through, through um, their history, there has been through the history of the church, there have been Christians that had it all bad. I mean, like all bad. They were slowly cooked alive in a torture chamber. They were, um, there's been Christians that have prayed and if God would have answered all their prayers for deliverance, they would have had lives that we now in a, in a first world country feel like that somehow we don't have everything we deserve because we have it bad. If all of their prayers would have been answered, their life still wouldn't have been as good as we have it living in a bad marriage. Mm -hmm. And so it isn't fun. And I can not speak from personal experience on this because I've not been stuck in a marriage that was bad for 11 years. Um, and there's good days and there's bad days. And I would say that this is probably more complex than what I can give in my, um, in my little spiel right here, right now on the spot. But I would say that it's still worth waiting for. If it's been 11 bad years, if you put up with it this long, have faith, maybe here in another 11 years or five years, or maybe it's only one year, God delivers somebody. And the thing is, is if you're married to a sinner, they're going to be sinning. If you're married to a Christian, they may still be a sinner and they're still sinning. And they're, we're as Christians, we're still greedy. We're still selfish. We're still, um, you know, angry. We have all these problems that we drag into our Christian life. And like Patrick said earlier, sanctification is something that happens that God does in us over time. And, and there's, there's days where I don't want to be with myself and I feel bad for my wife for having to put up with me. And I, and I feel the same way toward her sometimes. I'm like, man, you're having a bad day. You're cranky today. I hate to have to put up with you. It'd be easier for me to go, you know, go off in the shop and work without you for a while. And we have those days where we aren't perfect and marriages don't have to be perfect in order to last. You can have your bad days. You can have your bad years. And, um, and you can be patient. And that is your way of showing them Jesus is by your patience with them when they don't deserve it. You know, <clears throat> um, my wife and I have certainly had rough spells 
you know, so to speak, where I was not close to God. I frankly didn't want anything to do with God. I didn't care about God. I didn't care about church. I didn't want anything to do with the Bible or prayer or Christianity. And let me tell you, I was miserable. And I know I made my wife miserable during those times. I'm sure my wife has had times like that as well. Most Christians do. Um, <clears throat> with that, I will also say, don't quit before the miracle happens. Uh, God talks a lot about being long suffering and, um, you know, w- we need to, uh, be patient. We need to pray. I would certainly ask everyone present to be praying for this young lady and her marriage, which obviously is a, is a difficult thing. Um, <clears throat> but I-, I don't see, like we talked about, what was it last week or two weeks ago? You know, when we we're talking about divorce, I don't see a reason, uh, for it, you know? Um, so as Caleb said, I'm going to reiterate, when it comes down to abuse, uh, separate, make yourself safe, make the kids safe. That has to happen. Uh, that doesn't mean a divorce has to happen, but being physically removed from a bad situation, that's obviously more than reasonable uh, to make sure that you and the children are safe. And, and keep in mind, uh, you know, we're talking about children. We don't, we don't know you or if you have any kids. <clears throat> okay, but... I would never want to one, one piece of advice that I got from my pastor was, and he would tell every couple that was going through, you know, a hard time that wanted to get divorced. He would talk to each party individually and say, look, in the next three months, just 90 days. Okay. Make sure that there is nothing your spouse can say against you to use against you in order to justify a divorce. Okay. You are going to be the Christian who is patient, who is long suffering, who is loving, who is caring, who is thoughtful. You are going to be, uh, you're going to take the high road. Okay. Don't give them a single reason to justify a divorce. And he would tell the other one that too. Guess what? At the end of 90 days, all of a sudden they were doing great because neither of them were being selfish, you know, anymore. They were selfless and they were looking toward the other one and trying to live the godly life that maybe they, they weren't doing. With that being said, <clears throat> you know, what Caleb, keep in mind, what, what Caleb and I are saying right now is not going to be popular. I mean, you, you came to the wrong place if you wanted someone to say, oh, life's tough, just get a divorce, you know, figure it out down the road. Because I don't see the Bible um, allowing that. I don't see that the Bible says that. And I am going to tell everyone who's still with us. I don't know if we have anyone left. Other than Jesus, the most important decision you will ever make in your life is who you're going to marry. Do not make that decision flippantly. Because you could be on here asking a couple guys about what you should do about a marriage that's been difficult for a dozen years. Okay, more than anything in the world, you want to make sure that the person that is going to be your spouse is someone that is godly, um, who has a walk with God, who loves you uh, just like they would love their daughter or love their mother. That's what you want. And it's so important. Do not just go after, you know, the star quarterback or the girl with the, you know, pretty smile. Uh, That is not going to make a happy marriage. Okay. Uh, you know, God at the center, that's gonna, gonna make a happy marriage. So 
I don't really have much more to add than don't quit before the miracle happens. And if you haven't been praying, you need to get down on your knees, get down on your face. You need to pray more um, fast and pray, take it seriously and um, love your husband. <clears throat> Just like the Bible says to give honor and wait and see the miracle God's going to do. I have no problem telling you, I guarantee a miracle is going to happen. I, I have no concern promising that to anyone that takes it seriously and gets on their face with prayer. It will happen. God will hear your prayers it, and it, it will change. It might not be the result you thought it would be, but you'll be able to look back and see God's fingerprints all over it. Uh, that's all I so, have. So I'm just going to read a couple of verses here um, in Luke chapter nine the end of the chapter, it says, and it came to pass that as they went in the way, a certain man said unto him, Lord, I will follow thee whithersoever thou goest. And Jesus said unto him, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the son of man hath not where to lay his head. And he said unto another, follow me. But he said, Lord, suffer me first to go and bury my father. Jesus said unto him, let the dead bury their dead, but go thou and preach the kingdom of God. And another said, also said, Lord, I will follow thee, but let me first go and bid them farewell, which are at home at my house. And Jesus said unto him, no man, having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. And this is, um, this is not, this is not directly related to this um, issue here, but this, here's, here's a situation where, where Jesus is saying that it, once you, once you put your hand to the plow and then you turn back, it, you're not fit for the kingdom of God. Now this is talking about following Jesus. But when we, when we turn around from following Jesus to go and, and deal with these issues that we have in our life that we feel like we need to straighten out before we can really serve God the way that we want, um, it, it hinders us. And in, in Galatians uh, chapter 6, verse 9, it says, And let us not be wary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. And so that is a promise that if we, if we continue to do what God has called us to do, uh, we will reap if we faint not. And, and sometimes I think that, that for me, um, I've been dealing with a situation recently where, where I, there's, there's a, a person that is extremely angry and bitter and, and re relentless in his bitterness. And if he would have not given up, if he would have kept his hand at the plow and not turned back, he would be right here walking beside me, serving God with me, and there would be no issue. But instead, that bitterness is eating him alive. And, and I look at this and I, and I, and I, and I think for me, it's, it's a fair warning that to realize that sometimes when we get caught up in the things that we don't like, the things that we feel like that we need to change this before we can serve God the way that we want, maybe we would be able to serve God better if we were married to this other person, or if we weren't married to the person that we're with, or if we were in a different church, um, then all of a sudden we're looking back. We're kind of like Lot's wife, or we're looking back and trying to figure out how could we change this? We are where we are right now. And all that we can do is look forward. We set our eyes on Jesus. We serve him to our, the best of our ability. And all the attacks that come from the side, whether it's from a spouse, from a friend, from, from an enemy, it doesn't matter who it is. Those attacks can't get us down to the point that we don't serve, serve Christ anymore. We're supposed to love people, keep our eyes on Jesus. And if you're in a bad marriage, don't let that hinder you from serving God. Let your, let your spouse see you serving God, honoring them, honoring those around you and see the joy that's in your life and not see you being so down and out because you're in an unhappy marriage. Don't be unhappy. You're in a bad marriage. 
it's a, it's a bad situation, find the joy of the Lord in your life. And hopefully that can lead them to Christ because they'll see you following Christ and they won't really have a choice, but to see him, they're stuck living in a house with you. And if you exude the spirit of Christ, if you, if you exude Jesus and they see that coming through you, and that's what they, what they relate to day in and day out, they're, they're going to be so exposed to Christ that they're not going to be able to resist him eventually. And that's, that's what I believe. And I believe that for you, I'm going to be praying for you. Um, reach out to me if you can. Um, if, if you can, I, I just clicked on your profile and I don't see an option to send you a friend request, but reach out to me because I'd like to hear, I want to hear the follow-up when God delivers you in this situation, because I do, like Patrick said, I do believe that God is going to heal you. He intends for all things to be redeemed. That is God's will. Um, and it says all things in heaven and in earth are to be redeemed. And I believe that your marriage is to be redeemed. And so I would say, uh, somebody else commented here and said, hang in there. Um, I'm going to pray for you. And, and I believe that that is God's will. Like Patrick said, you may have to separate for a time. If that, if it gets that bad, you may have to separate, but hang in there. And, and God, God wants to deliver, deliver you from the situation. That's all I have. Um, thank you for, uh, that's a whole nother, a whole another little mini episode on the end of our episode, but thank you for reaching out with that. Um, and I love, definitely will be praying for you. Thanks, Patrick. Appreciate okay, it. Okay, everyone. We'll see you one week from today to talk about tattoos and smoking. Shabbat shalom. And for, don't forget to tune in on Monday night to to hear Patrick talk to, or, or I don't know if I'll be on there or not on Monday night, but um, it'll be interviewing just your, be, Yeah, it'll probably just yeah, be you and your and I. I didn't want to try to pull you into it, you know, um, just because I wanted to make sure that no one took up Bill's time with a 25-minute monologue when we're supposed to be signed off. So um, I was just going to talk to him myself. I hope that's okay. I, I Sounds good. Oh, yeah. I didn't intend no, to discuss this live. And, I, see your feelings hurt <laughs> no i'm planning on, on tuning tu tuning in to watch you got you talking about covid okay so great. so send us some comments and questions uh this monday sounds good mountain time okay have a good all week right. everyone thank you bye-bye